Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. It's brought to you by Skyway Acquisition, skywayacq.com. And this episode is a bit of a deep dive into the third of the acquisition time zones, the RFP zone. All right, let's get started. We're talking acquisition time zones today. Specifically, we're talking about the RFP zone, the request for proposal zone. If you remember, there are four acquisition time zones, and this is the way we talk about the government's acquisition flow here on the podcast. The acquisition time zones start with the requirement zone, then shift into the market research zone, then the RFP zone, and then the selection zone. At that point, a contract's awarded, and we move into the execution time zones, which is on a whole bunch of other podcasts. <laughs> These zones, they apply everywhere to every acquisition, whether it's a micro-purchase using a government credit card, or it's a simplified acquisition procedure for a small business under a quarter million dollars, or all those acquisition strategies that are over a quarter million dollars, like government-wide acquisition contracts and sole source awards and blanket purchase agreements and 8A program, all that stuff. And major and source have- selections. Correct. And major FAR Part 15 source selections. That's where we really can see each one of these four, but they apply everywhere. And we've got podcasts for pretty much every one of those acronyms I just dropped. But first, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Carrie Santos. Carrie is a contract specialist with the Department of Defense. Carrie is in the San Antonio, Texas area. I want to thank Carrie specifically for sharing episode one of our podcast. Episode one. Back in the day, you know, six years ago. For those of you who don't know, episode one was the, it's the why we did this episode. And six years later, right? The good news is that when I went back and listened to it, I'm, I'm to that episode, I'm happy to report that the why we did this hasn't changed. <laughs> we were so really idealistic kind of cool. and, and, and crazy. What do you know? And I want to thank Carrie for investing the time in sharing our podcast and specifically for sharing that episode because that's our story. That's why we do this. Thanks, Carrie. It was good to hear that again. Okay, then back to the RFP zone. The RFP zone starts when the final solicitation, whether it's a request for a proposal or a request for quotes or an invitation for bids or just a phone call to the contractor, when that final solicitation is released, you're in the RFP zone. So you're, you have a requirement, done in the requirement zone. You've done your market research and released drafts and done all kinds of other things to engage with industry. Now the final solicitation is released. The RFP zone ends when proposals are due. And that's the point where you shift into the selection zone. Give a, a framework of these four zones. So the requirement zone, it's the what. It's the when and and where and how many, but it's the what the government actually needs. The market research zone, that's the how. We talk about that that zone being the how the government is going to acquire whatever the what (laughs) was, if you follow that sentence. Now we're in the RFP zone, and this is the start of the process to determine who they will buy the what based on how they decided (laughs) to buy it, right? Makes sense? The selection zone that's coming up, that's next, but that's where the government will finish the decision of who. You can see the what, when, where, how many, how, and who, all in these pieces. But this RFP zone, that's where we start to get into who are we going to get this from. When the RFP is released, this is when proposals are prepared, written, 
This is when your quotes, your bid, your proposal, whatever you want to call it, this is when industry is, is doing that work. In the previous acquisition time zones, communications were wide open. When we get to the RFP zone, communications become more formal and they flow through the contracting officer only. The definition of formal, it's, it's pretty clear. During the request for information or a draft RFP, during the last zone, during the market research zone, questions and answers could be answered one at a time and directly back to the person who asked. Privately. Or in, in other words, privately. There's the right word. Thank you. Now, any question and answers that are asked, they have to be answered public, publicly. They're published, right? So now the competitors can see the questions that you ask. In addition, often the time to submit questions is limited, meaning that the RFP came out on February 1st and you've got until February 10th to ask questions. Now you see the structure that the communication is much more controlled and it, it sometimes feels like it's coming out through an eyedropper because before in the market research zone, a lot more open communication was encouraged by the FAR and is also, it was happening. Whereas now communication is locked down. Yeah. And as a result of it being locked down and as a result of it being public, companies are much more hesitant to ask questions that may reveal their strategy for, for winning the thing. The government doesn't like questions at this point because if they get hard ones, they may have to modify their RFP or their RFQ or invitation for bid or whatever it is. We'll just say RFP from now on so I don't have to keep repeating all of those acronyms. The government doesn't want to modify the RFP because they have to issue an RFP amendment. And if it's substantial changes to the terms of the RFP, they may have to extend the proposal due date. So instead of giving offers 30 days to submit their proposals, if on the 10th day they issue an amendment, they may have to give 30 days from that date if the offers are going to need more time to write. And like I said a minute ago, during the market research zone, that was when the government was deciding how to actually acquire the product or service. During the RFP zone, to your point, the government's not really interested in changing the how. They've, want, they've gone through an entire process to decide on the how. That was the last zone. Now we're in the RFP zone. The how's pretty much already been decided. So like you said, if it's a substantial change, it's like we're regressing back to the market research zone, which is a contracting officer. I don't want to do that. I want to keep this thing moving. And so understanding how these questions are asked, the, the fact that they show, they reveal competitive strategies, but they also can impact what the government is going to do. That's one of the reasons that our customers use us to refine and specify the questions they're actually going to ask and whether they ask them, because that's a whole different strategy when you ask questions during the RFP zone, because you don't want the government to feel like they have to regress back to the market research yeah. zone. We, ha a, we, have an old, we have a whole episode about questions during the RFP. That's true. If an RFP amendment is substantial, <laughs> the FAR says that the contracting officer shall cancel the solicitation if it, it uses the words, if the changes exceed what offers could have reasonably anticipated. Basically, you cancel it and start over. You have to go back from the RFP zone to the market research zone and release another request for a proposal. It's a reset button. Yeah, it's a do-over, but a painful do-over. Yeah, painful. Yeah, exactly. It's not one you want to really do. 
All right, let's go back and talk about the communications again, Kevin. This is where the communication flow starts to be clamped down, right? Requirement zone, market research zone should be wide open communication. During the RFP zone, industry can no longer just call the user, call call the the core or COTAR, the contracting officer's representative or contracting officer's technical representative or the support contractors that often work in the acquisition office, they are not allowed to talk directly to the offerers anymore. Which can be really thorny if, if you have a legitimate, re- like if you're the incumbent and you have a reason to talk to them to manage the contract you have, all of a sudden the conversation has to be really controlled. And it, yeah, it's, it's awkward because you can't be talking about what's going on during the RFP zone, because again, we have to be public, right? Anything they tell you, they got to tell everybody. So if they so see you in the right. hall, they may turn around and walk the other way. Don't be offended. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to look, look at their shoes when they walk past you. Unlike in the requirement zone and the market research zone, where the government is refining the requirement and their RFP, a change to the requirement, like we just talked about, becomes more painful here. A change to anything in the RFP requires an amendment. So it's not impossible, but more difficult. And it, it goes back to the regressing. If we're going to change the requirement now, now we're regressing back two zones. We're going back all the way to the requirement zone, which means does that change the acquisition strategy that we've already decided on during the market research zone? So there's the expanding implication of changing the requirement after the RFP zone That's the kind of, like you mentioned a minute ago, the substantial enough change that could cause them to cancel the RFP and have to start over. And it's not just the requirement. If if it's the strategy, if at this point Mm -hmm. you decide, hey, I'm a small business, this should be set aside for small businesses. Well, technically the government could make that change, but that's probably one of those cancel the solicitation and start over moments. It's a little late for that kind of change. As we've discussed many times, if the RFP comes out and it's greatly different than what you expected, it's really difficult at this point to change your win strategy. If, if you had planned based on a draft RFP that, wow, we can win this, this is where our strengths are, and the final RFP comes out and they've changed that piece of it, it's really late for you to be able to change courses and win based on different criteria than you expected. We're using the term RFP, request for proposal, which again implies a a large competition, a, a, a larger acquisition, maybe a far part 15 type acquisition. But there is an RFP zone in every buy, just may not be as, as long. To put some FAR language around it, uh, FAR 15203, right? So we'll start with that, specifically is about RFPs for competitive acquisition. And in that case, okay, under a FAR 15 source selection, there are four things that go in that RFP. The requirement, the anticipated terms and conditions, the information required to be in the offer's proposal, that's also often referred to as Section L. And then the, this is the big one, factors and significant sub-factors that will be used to evaluate the proposal and their relative importance. Yes, it sounds like I'm reading that because I am, because it's out of 15.203. That's under FAR Part 15, right? That's for the formal stuff. Well, this concept still applies even in FAR Part 13, where FAR Part 13 talks about promoting competition. 
And essentially, the idea is the contracting officer must promote competition to the maximum extent practicable, right? Well, that can be things like soliciting quotes based on personal preference. It can be restricting solicitations to well-known or widely distributed makers of a brand. So far, part 13 is more simplified acquisition. In fact, it's called <laughs> simplified acquisition. But you'll notice that there's the formalization of the proposal isn't the same, but we're still in the zone. We're still in the RFP zone where the government is saying, show me you can do this. Give me some examples that I can choose from. Okay. So as you can see, it's still happening in FAR Part 13 as well. And even at the micro purchase threshold where the government's using a government credit card, you're not submitting a proposal in that case, but the government is looking for your offer. Your offer might be what's on your website. It isn't interactive at this point. The government's looking at your website going, okay, this one, they have a, they have a a warranty and it's a hundred bucks. This one is a warranty and it's, and it's a thousand bucks. That's the RFP zone happening right before your very eyes. <laughs> it might take five minutes, but it's still happening. So it's important to understand that this RFP zone applies to every purchase that we make. Yeah. When you're down at those micro purchases, it's one of those blink and you'll miss it kind of, kind of things, right? Because <laughs> market research, yeah. they might look at six websites before they buy something. But when they decide, hey, I think I will buy this one. The RFP zone is really like just running through the terms and conditions of that buy. And there might not really be any except click here and, and use your credit card. When they call your office and say, hey, I want this and give you a credit card number, that means the RFP zone just happened. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Shifting from the market research zone to the RFP zone when the solicitation is released really ramps up the activity. This, this is go time, right? Before it was just all circling around, communicating openly. Now we are focused. The practice is over and now everything we do counts going back to the formal communication. If we asked a question of the government and it was a stupid question that gave away our competitive strategy, but we asked it in an email during the market research zone, consequences weren't that dire. You ask that same question after the RFP drops, government has to publish it and it could really hurt you. So the temperature's changed here. It's a lot more intense. Yeah, like we talked about, communications have 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 slowed down. They're much more formal, much more restricted. And for industry, this this is where it gets real, right? When you see that final request for a proposal, this is really this is your last chance. Are you going to bid or not? Because the bid itself takes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy for for major competitions. If the RFP is not what you expected, you may decide, despite all the time you spent during the market research zone, reviewing the draft RFP and communicating with the government, if the RFP has changed enough that you really can't win, or if your suggestions didn't make it into the final RFP, but <laughs> you read, hey, this looks just like my competitor's strengths, at that point, you may decide not to bid. We talk about this in a lot of the targeting episodes, but this is that moment where you have to ruthlessly target at a customer project a few weeks ago where the RFP came out significantly different, differently. And it was, it was a heated discussion, we'll say it that way, between the business development person who it's his job to create more opportunity. He wants to keep bidding. And the rest of the team looking at this going, based on how it's written, our strategy is not going to win. And it, it's a hard moment to say, could we do this? Yes, but it, it's, we're not going to win it. Somebody outshaped it and it's, it's hard. It, but again, that's why lots of people say, let's just go after it anyway, because it's human nature to just keep going. But the sooner you decide 
to not go after it, the better off everybody is. For government folks, one of our oldest contracting officer podcast maxims is true here as always. One hour spent clarifying or fixing or cleaning the understanding of what's going to happen in the, in the evaluation is worth 12 hours, 50 hours, 100 hours, some larger number later. If there's some type of ambiguity in your final RFP and you get questions on it from offerers, and instead of answering the questions, you say, hey, the, the RFP seems clear to me, and you ignore those questions, the offerers are going to guess, and you're going to get proposals that don't meet your needs or are confusing, and then when you award to someone else, you may get a protest because they didn't understand and they ask a question that you didn't clarify. In, in the market research zone, it's easy to fix things. You, you can just send a new email or post a new document. Here, it takes more time, but it is worth it. Yeah, the, the number of times that I did this wrong and mm -hmm. didn't realize the, the, the exponential impact of just a few words. And so the, the importance of, of answering the questions in a timely manner to get them to not bid, yeah. uh, because I'm raising my hand, either you're going to deal with it in a protest or, and frankly worse, you're going to deal with it after award. And you're going to have to clarify something that everybody thought was Y and it's actually X and they all bid Y. And then you get the, the performance zone and you're like, oh crap, they can't do it this way. And, it, and it's not a protestable thing because everybody misunderstood it. It was, you know, they clearly all got it wrong. So even the winner got it wrong and now you got to fix it afterwards. And I'm raising my hand for that one too. So the, the value of, of making sure that, that industry understands what is actually in the RFP is critical and it's hard. It's, it's, a, it's a frustrating window to be in. What you learn over time is that you don't want questions on your final RFP. So it's to your benefit, government, uh, you know, raising my hand, contracting officer, it's to your benefit to answer questions and get things ironed out in the draft RFP phase while it's still easy to iron those things out. Yeah, don't, well said. Don't wait. I wish I'd have learned that sooner. <laughs> As you're describing, the government at this point is answering questions. Most of what they're doing is, is waiting and preparing. They also have to spend time, if they get questions, assessing the impact of those questions on their acquisition strategy. Is this big enough to actually issue an amendment? Can I just answer the question? If I have to release an amendment, do I have to give them more time? Do I have to run these amendments through this, the government acquisition approval chain again and get approval to release an amendment? That's It's gonna take me a week just to get this amendment approved. So now my source selection and my award schedule is off by, by multiple weeks by the time we're done with this. <laughs> And they're also taking a breath to prepare for the source selection. I call it the source selection crunch if it's a FAR Part 15 or getting ready to execute if it's a FAR Part 13 acquisition. Because getting through the selection process, like we just talked about, all those amendments, all the changes, all the approvals, getting making sure all the people are going to be available. I mean, you push this, push the, the selection process out by two weeks. What if those two weeks are the last two weeks of the year? Yep. All of a sudden, things just got more interesting. Yeah, you were going to get it done before the holidays. Now it's right in the holidays. So do you have to extend two weeks past that? A Better. month instead of two weeks? The government's also planning for the source selection for these major buys, right? You have to find 
a location. You have to find a place where people can kind of sequester themselves to do the evaluations and you have to train them on these major source selection processes. Like the Procurement Integrity Act. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun one to be able to make sure that all these, for when I worked for Special Operations Command, the Navy SEALs and Rangers, I had to explain to them that when you're doing an evaluation, there are rules about how you interact with people. And that was all foreign to them because they weren't trained in it. But if you screw it up, it's pretty catastrophic to the program. So the, the, the amount of education that can happen in that last couple of weeks is, is very time consuming too. So that's what the government's working on. This is where the shifts in activity happen hard, right? During the market research zone, the government is writing this final RFP. They release it. They get to take a breath, generally, while industry is going nuts writing their proposals. And then when industry submits their proposals and we get to the selection zone, then industry's taking a breath while the government is going nuts trying to evaluate the proposals on time. When we get to this zone, the RFP zone, the first thing industry is doing is reading that RFP, reading every single word, comparing it to the draft, if there was a draft, to see if anything changed that impacts their schedule. At this, this is the point where you're, you're validating your win strategy. We have multiple podcast episodes about the, the activities required, like how, how to read an RFP and put together a proposal. We have a whole series on, on that, as a matter of fact. In general, or for things over the simplified acquisition threshold, if this zone is the first time you heard about an acquisition, it's probably too late <laughs> because it, you've already decided not to bid by the fact that it's not something you even knew about. Because as we just talked about, there's a lot of stuff that happened in those previous two zones. This is the first public zone, I think is the way to think of it. We did an episode called Fresh Air, where like something is exposed to fresh air. If this is the first time it's been exposed to you, you're probably late. Yep. Your competitors have already been targeting and shaping and probably writing part of their proposal. Yeah. We got a lot of contracting officer podcast maxims in this one. And that's another thing that we've probably said almost more than anything else is if you're first hearing about the acquisition, when the RFP is released, you're too late. Like I described before, government's taking a little bit of a breath, preparing to evaluate proposals or make a selection. Industry's going crazy writing the proposal. Everyone's stressed. No one's sleeping. No one's taking time off. This is all in for major source selections, even, even some minor ones. Following all of the proposal writing guidelines, this many pages for this section, make sure you have this many past performance references, all those things. Very difficult. It requires a lot of effort to check every single box. And you're on a timer. You have to submit by the day, by the hour, by the minute that the RFP says proposals are due. Or it was all for nothing. And the government doesn't even evaluate your proposal. Yeah, the, the importance of being on time. <laughs> There's a whole episode for that, too. One big thing to, to foot stomp here from, from the, on the, to give the government folks in perspective, we mentioned that for major source selections, this is what's happening. Well, the term major is relative. So if you put out a $2 million RFP, but it's a small business set aside, that's going to be major for a lot of the small businesses that are, that are submitting on it. So be aware, and I probably wasn't as aware of this as I should have been, that just because it's not a nine-digit giant uh, source selection with subcontractors, et cetera. If it's a small business award or if it's smaller types of companies, or here's one, if they're commercial companies that haven't done as much government work, 
and that you happen to be buying under FAR Part 12, don't be surprised if they're pulling all-nighters. I was amazed the number of times I heard about, oh, this was that hard for you? Well, <laughs> they're, they're hard for everybody. Proposals just aren't easy, period. So yeah, don't be surprised. You quickly learn on the industry side not to underestimate how much work any proposal is. I mean, if you don't learn, you're either late or, you, or you're pulling lots of all-nighters. But, but the experienced industry proposal writers are working it like mad from day one because they know what happens when you get down to the deadline. And speaking of deadlines, time to wrap this up. <laughs> this is not the first zone, okay? Um, but it's the first public zone. As I mentioned, this is, a f- this is the first time the, that the government's formal strategy is being exposed to fresh air. And I'll say it one more time. Is it the first time you've heard of it? You're probably too late. Because... There's two other episodes talking about all the things that are happening in the requirement zone and market research zone leading up to this. If you're on the government side, time's going to slow down here. It's like you don't realize all the things that are happening on the industry side. For me, it was like I heaved this big RFP out to the world. I'm like, okay, I like to take a weekend off. But like you just mentioned a minute ago, that just opened the floodgates for the industry side. Yeah. If you're on the industry side, time has sped up. You have to figure out how to write a proposal that meets all the requirements and is going to win on time. That clock is tick, tick, ticking away. One of the luxuries of being on the government side is that the clock usually wasn't ticking as loud. I mean, maybe I had end of your your funds or something, but realistically, I could just extend it for two weeks if, if something changed. Industry can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> they got a hard stop of when is this thing due. Right. That alone makes this whole this zone much more stressful. Yeah. You set me up again, Kevin. Speaking of hard stops, that's it for today. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us today on the Contracting Officer Podcast. When you need help interpreting an RFP and understanding what questions to ask and how to ask them, You can use your relationship with the contracting officers at Skyway Acquisition. Check it out at skywayacq.com or give us a call at 877-884-5280. There's tons of tips and learning in the Skyway community and direct consulting with our team. All right, that's it for today. We'll see you next week.